and welcome to episode six of Stories of Strange Women. We're your hosts. I'm Tanya Hurley. And I'm Tracy Hurley-Martin. And we are thrilled to welcome our guest today, Pam Grossman. Pam is an indie curator, writer, and teacher of magical practice and history. She's the author of What is a Witch? Um, with Tin Can Forest. I love that book. It's a it's, picture book. It's like a picture book, but please get this book. <laughs> if, you, if you're into witches at all, um, get this book. No one does a picture book. And but gift it to everyone you know, because there hasn't been one person I've given it to that hasn't like freaked over it. Yeah. And also she's creator of witch emojis. So there hasn't been witch emojis before and she created them. So um, that's something you also need to have on your phone. Everyone should have the witch, witch emoji, emoji. Yeah. sticker pack. Um, check out her blog, Phantasmophile. She's also on Twitter and Instagram as uh, Phantasmophile. Her blog is it has everything. You will go there it's and you will scary reading. <laughs> yes. It's a rabbit hole. You will spend hours. Yeah, it's a rabbit hole. So set aside time for that. Yeah, definitely. So it's a really interesting conversation today. I learned a tremendous amount about witchcraft, witches, and the whole history. Um, I've seen Pam speak before. Um, she's a, she's often lectures about these kinds of topics. Um, but I really I really learned a lot. She talked about she talks a lot about how um, witches are the ideal feminist icon, the uh, the the ultimate feminist icons, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was really interesting because they don't need any outside sources to give to get their power. They from. don't derive it's, power from. Yeah, it's it's all within them, and and witches are conjurers. And she talks about women today and people like Oprah and how she would consider Oprah a witch because she creates her own reality, her own world. She's witches are creators mm-hmm. and. Um, Oh, just I, I love this interview. and I think and I think Pam too um, as you know um, she's she's also we should say is one of Getty images Getty images being one of the largest if not the largest American stock photo agencies she's the director of visual trends so what she's doing is really deciding how women are portrayed when she, when somebody comes to buy stock images of females mm-hmm. of women and deciding how you know how they're portrayed in the media yeah talk about power yeah and um she's work she's working now with um or she has been working with cheryl sandberg of facebook's her lean in organization and to really diversify how how women are portrayed in the media mm-hmm. so she's you know she's all over the place pam Grossman. she just won an award right or something yeah um ad week named her um ad week uh has this creative 100 names you need to know right now and she's uh one of the t- 2017 uh most innovative professionals wow on that top 100 go list. pam yeah go pam <laughs> We really need people like her. Yeah. Um, changing the way we see women in the media, mm-hmm. most definitely. And yeah, Pam's very pro-woman. And that's another thing she talked about in mm-hmm. terms of witchcraft. Mm-hmm. Other witches supporting, you know, other other women. I love that mm-hmm. aspect. I love that part of it. And I... It's such a pure... It's coming from such a pure place. Right. And she talks about witchcraft in the digital age. Mm-hmm. witchcraft in the trump era she talked about the binding 
Um, there was a witch, a day of the witch, where they try. They were um, there was a spell above, to try to bind Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, the different between the difference between a hex and a binder. Right. Yeah. And she talked about um, her <laughs> pubescent brush with black magic, yeah. which I, I loved. Um, she confessed it I, here yeah, on the I, show. Yeah, I'm not think... sure if she's ever talked about it before, but yeah, and I, we've had a we've had a brush too, but yeah, hers actually worked. Yeah, um, mine did with the Coke can, but I do attribute it to, I moved a Coke can, remember? Oh, right. It scared your boyfriend at the time in high school, but I think it was because there was water. There was was condensation. condensation. But you never know. And it was a glass table. You never know. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know we, you know, ever since we saw Escape from Witch Mountain, we stare at each other and feel like... (laughs) <laughs> we have these powers and maybe we do but anyway this interview was something that i learned a lot from and i think the listener you out there will walk away um if you don't think you're a witch already you'll probably want to be one after you'll want to you. own your your the your the inner witch <laughs> yeah definitely so sit back and enjoy this interview with pam grossman Pam, welcome, and thank you so much for for joining us. So, um, we're here to talk about your book, What is a Witch, and Witchcraft. Can you tell the listeners what makes a witch? What is a witch? Absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Um, You know, I get asked the question, what is a witch, all the time, and it's actually difficult to answer um, because, you know, so many people are self-defining and calling themselves witches these days, which I actually think is... It's a big movement. Yeah, it's largely Mm -hmm. a wonderful thing. So to me, a witch is somebody who is magical and who uses the power of creativity, their imagination and ritual to change the world and change themselves. Um, It really is that simple and that complex at the same time. Wow, so so if you kind of have an intention and then you burn a candle, that could be considered witchcraft. Absolutely, Mm -hmm. Uh, to me, it certainly is. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, obviously there's a lot of context to witchcraft, there's thousands and certainly hundreds of years of history wherein there have been characters that have been called witches if not self-identified as witches and so when somebody's calling themselves a witch they're actually tapping into an archetype a lot of people try to pin down the witch as a historical figure and in fact that's really really difficult to do because she largely exists in story and in mythology or in words that people call other people uh, mm-hmm. in the right. past it was usually a negative mm-hmm. thing um, which you touch on in your book exactly the insult using which is an insult exactly it's definitely a, a, a negative and in many cases in the past life-threatening epithet that was mm-hmm. used all the time but you know we're Still is, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but you know we're in a day and age now where the fourth wave of feminism is crashing, and people are reclaiming that word, especially women are reclaiming that word and wearing it as a cloak and as an armor and as um, a way to identify themselves um, from a place of pride and strength and you know a, a kind of unusual self defining orientation. Yeah, I mean it's it was interesting. I read where you were talking about witchcraft and feminism and uh you were saying how witches are kind of singular 
where they draw I mean and where they draw their power they don't rely on an, the relationship of someone else that's exactly correct? right can you talk a little bit sure about that? sure so you know I approach the topic of witches archetypally as opposed to historically like certainly we can talk about witch hunts and all of that sort of thing um, but in fact the witch hunts came out of this archetypal idea of what a witch is and and what a witch is actually changes um, over time depending on that moment in uh, society um, and often depending on how society feels about women at any given time that said you know if you think about archetypes most of the female-oriented archetypes tend to draw power from their relationships. So, for example, virgins. Well, they, they are defined because they don't have sex with anybody, right? Or whores. They're defined because they do have mm -hmm. a lot of sex. Mm -hmm. um, daughters, mothers, sisters. It's all about who they're in relationship with, and that's how they become defined. Whereas a witch, to my mind, is perhaps the only female archetype who draws power from herself or perhaps from some greater power, uh, whether that's nature or spirit or magic, whatever we want to call it, but it's not from another person. So she is, um, she's independent. She lives on her own, own terms and she has agency. That's, I, I love, I love that because I, that just, def, that just explains why kind of witchcraft in this age of Trump is really taking hold and there are a lot of groups out there you know saying that they're witches and witchcraft and so what in the age in this age of trump can you explain kind of why people are turning to witchcraft you did touch on it just now but sure and yeah. then the hexes the group hexes oh, that yes, are the, going the, on the binding trump yeah, spell maybe you can give us the listeners yeah. a hex they can <laughs> Totally. I, actually, last night uh, was a full moon, or excuse me, a new moon, rather, and, and it's during the new moon that a lot of people are trying to bind Trump, so oh. a lot of binding was going on what last night. What does that night. mean, binding? So, um, in witchcraft, generally speaking, there are tenets or principles that you're not supposed to actually harm somebody. Certainly, some people do do that kind of black magic. Mm -hmm. um, I, I personally don't, and I frankly don't know that many people mm -hmm. personally who do that I'm aware of, but it does exist. And that idea is, you know, doing a spell to try to hurt somebody. Whereas binding someone is not about hurting them, but it's about preventing them from hurting other people. Oh, okay. Exactly. So, so when you hear about hexing Trump, mm -hmm. you know, largely... People are not trying to hurt him or mm -hmm. kill him or, you know, cause him actual harm. They're just trying to um, spiritually him. paralyze him from being so toxic. Put a spiritual straitjacket on him. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's great because I've been seeing on Twitter and stuff the hexing and exactly. going on. And, exactly. And I thought, you know, they they want him to get hurt or I, d I had no idea that that's what what it meant yep that that's that's what the intention is mm -hmm. uh behind the word binding anyway i mean yeah. i don't know what people are actually doing but, yeah. the, but that's definitely the spirit behind uh, uh that spell um but to answer your question you know during the election um, and the, the campaigns running up to it, there was so much vitriol against women that were turned up. And, you know, it doesn't matter how you actually might feel about Hillary Clinton as a person. Um, I think it's, it's difficult to argue the fact or argue against the fact that 
a lot of the vitriol was because she was a woman and a powerful woman and a woman who's made a lot of change. Mm-hmm. And certainly, you know, there's a lot that we've projected onto Hillary for a long time. And Hillary's actually been called a witch throughout her entire career. A lot of powerful women like her mm-hmm. um, have have been pr- uh, kind of um, privy to that, that epithet being tossed their way. So, you know, I remember when Martha Stewart was jailed, she was called a witch. I remember, um, actually, Madonna, when she accepted her Lifetime Achievement Award, I believe it was at the Billboard Awards mm-hmm. this year. We'll have to oh, double-check okay. that. But she talked about how she was called a witch throughout mm-hmm. a lot of her career. So it's often powerful women. It's often women as they're aging who mm-hmm. get this term thrown at them, too. But we're really in this age where I think women overall are tired of having less we're tired of getting paid less. We're tired of, mm-hmm. you know, working doubly hard to get half as far. And um, we're reclaiming and reappropriating a lot of those negative words that have been thrown at us and wearing them like a badge of honor. I mean, I'm thinking about nasty women yeah. and how when Trump called Hillary, what did he say? You're such a nasty woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then all these women came out and they're like, I'm a nasty woman. Mm-hmm. They wore t-shirts. Yeah. And, and it was a it was a big fuck you. Mm-hmm. And, and a big, you know, what I'm not going to apologize for being for for asking for what I deserve and mm-hmm. for having that power and having that knowledge that I I matter and mm-hmm. I matter at an equal level to any to uh, compared to anybody else in the world. Mm-hmm. And so this is the the kind of beliefs that come along with witchcraft, correct? I mean, definitely. Is it more of a empowering women kind of idea, and is that true for witchcraft across the board or so i think i think that's what's happening today I mean, and am i using the right word witchcraft should i not be saying craft? no i think i think that's fine okay i think it's fine and i think that's actually let's talk about that for yeah. a moment because people who are who use the word witch it's a very expansive and elastic word mm-hmm. um even that word you know some people use it because they are pagan or Wiccan, and to them this is their religion, and so they identify as a witch. In do you that identify way. as a witch? I do. Okay. Yes, I am a practicing pagan. Mm-hmm. I have been my whole life. Um, I was raised Jewish, mm-hmm. and you know, practiced that, and sometimes still incorporate the two a bit. But I'm far more pagan than I am anything else. And, you know, the thing I like to remind people, though, and this in no way is to put down Wicca Mm because it's a beautiful path, but it's only about 75 years old. You know, it's not this ancient, you know, old religion. It's a fairly new religion um, that started in... So what what is the difference between Wicca and what we're... And paganism? Well, Wicca is one branch of paganism. So the word pagan generally, and these words, you know, they're very fluid, but, but paganism generally means like pre-Christian religions or, um, religions that are nature based, or, um, sometimes it's believing not in the monotheistic God or not in the God of, you know, the, the big three religions, Mm -hmm. but rather, you know, sometimes it's believing in a pantheon. Um, but often, you know, it's, it's essentially saying, well, I don't follow the big three religions and I'm um, much more plugged into these ancient traditions. Okay. But it's not like there's a bro- an unbroken line from you know people who were practicing 
mm-hmm. these more, you know, folk magic or nature magic through until Wicca. You know, Wicca mm-hmm. was created by Gerald Gardner, you know, out of Britain, um, came into into popularity, if you can call it that, mm-hmm. in, in a relatively small religion, really in the, you know, 50s and 60s. And he was braiding together a lot of different paths. You know, there's, there's um, everything from you know, the kind of practices that like the Order of the Golden Dawn were doing. And they came out of, you know, um, ritual magic that they were blending together through Kabbalah and Hermeticism and some, you know, um, Egyptian mythology and practice. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know, these are people, relatively modern people who were taking old kind of uh, spirituality and old stories and then reweaving them together to create new ritual practices for their time. And these were usually artists um, who were gravitating towards this kind of spiritual work. And in a very, I don't know if you can use the word postmodern about people who are in the 19th century, um, but essentially, you know, the, the folks who were doing things like the Order of the Golden Dawn or a Madame Blavatsky who started theosophy, you know, these were modern at the time people who were weaving together a lot of different, in, in a very syncretic way, a lot of different old paths and practices, mm-hmm. which I find to be beautiful. I mean, mm-hmm. I love the idea yeah. of spirituality as something that's accessible to everyone and mm-hmm. that you can approach from an artful or imaginal mm-hmm. space rather than, you know, a lot of religion, which tends to be so literal, which tends to only have one book or one set of rules. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, these more magical practices and paths tend to be more open to interpretation and more open to personalization, Mm -hmm. which I think is so, so rich. Almost like like Buddhism, kind of. It can can kind of tailor it to what your personal needs are right i mean i mean i would say any religion mm-hmm. you know you can tailor to your own needs it's for more sure of a spiritual mm-hmm. right a spiritual thing than it is dogma like right absolutely mm-hmm. though you know there are certain as i'm i'm sure you guys know you know there are certain paths of buddhism that are quite dogmatic mm-hmm. it depends mm-hmm. on you know there are so many different right. flavors of religion yeah, out there yeah, so yeah. it really depends complicated on issue. yeah exactly very yeah, i mean we were raised roman catholic and I think when we were maybe 13 or 14, we started to not, you know, be, yeah. we, we, we were looking outside of it. Mm-hmm. Um, we, were, we grew up in a violent home mm-hmm. and um, with, a, with a single mother. Um, we were twins, female twins. Um, and, you know, just the world surrounding the Catholic religion and its icon- we didn't iconography. Feel we belonged there. Yeah. It didn't speak uh, we were, to we us. We were seen as outcasts because then when, you know, divorce was, was So shameful. taboo. Yeah. yeah, and we were showing up to church and feeling like we didn't really have a place there. Yeah. So Being judged. We yeah. felt like we were being judged. So exactly. anyway, um, we, we started to look, we started to check out books, spell books, mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. trying to, to, to tap into that. I started to, you know, my, my um, I think it was eighth grade 
I did this. Are you gonna whole... talk about your paper? Yes, <laughs> I'm so proud of you that are. paper. It was, it was the it was your crowning achievement. It was. I, I peaked. Yeah, you peaked paper. in eighth grade. <laughs> My witchcraft paper. <laughs> I I love it. I mean, yeah. I just wish I still had it. Yeah. So this was a was it a book report? What was your it witchcraft was paper? Of, it was a book report. Yeah. Um, research mom, mom, paper research yeah mm-hmm. i'm gonna call it my life's thesis <laughs> but um it was you know it, it changed me i started to you know it really i came to the the realization that there are female um you know within me it was empowering it was empowering mm-hmm. yes yeah. i and, and I, I moved away from catholicism after that mm-hmm. and i didn't i still but, you know we were I, raised in a small town and nobody it, which is we're black magic and, exactly you know satan worshippers of course and had of sex course. with satan yeah and um yeah so so we i don't know we never really there, there weren't people around like you kind of educating mm-hmm. um yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I love that you brought up. I mean, it's a horrible, a horrible element, which is shame. But I'm glad mm-hmm. you brought it up as a topic because I think what's happening now with feminism and particularly with you know this new um, kind of resurrection of witchcraft is that, and and men practice as well, and there are male witches, but it is largely a female archetype and. You know, I think we're in an age of de-tabooification of the female experience, mm-hmm. of shamelessness, and that's across the board. I mean, not to derail us too much, but, you know, I, I keep noticing all of these, like, cool new tampon companies or, like, yeah. Thinks panties. Right. Uh-huh. or I have them know, on right now. Oh, right on. <laughs> But, you know, but the fact that icons. this, like, yeah. this female-bodied experience that has been so mysterious and shameful and this mark of pollution mm-hmm. is suddenly becoming acceptable and kind of cool and stylish is one thread to me in this tapestry that we're weaving of, you know, female divinity mm-hmm. and of us stepping out of the shadow of shame. Yeah, I mean, I, and I love that you, you speak about, um, you have spoken about witchcraft and kind of body image. Mm-hmm. Witchcraft, witches and body image. What Can you speak a little bit about that and this whole movement about no body shame going on and, and things like that kind of derives, right, from... I, I think they're they're related to each other for mm-hmm. sure. You know, so much of making women feel ashamed is about shaming their bodies, about what our bodies do, about how our bodies look. And so, you know, if you look throughout art history, actually, and you look at the image of the witch, sometimes she's shown as this beautiful, beguiling seductress. And sometimes she's shown as this naked hag with like sagging breasts. And exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's actually fascinating that both of these things are considered horrible. It's like you can't win, right? Mm -hmm. And yet by embodying the witch and celebrating aging and celebrating our sexuality, our desires. It's nature. That's exactly Mm -hmm. right. And it's about saying, you know, it's all magical. Mm -hmm. It's all powerful and it's all okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, and I'm really loving, you know, what's happening now with the women's movement and of course seeing heartbreaking backlash to that too. Mm -hmm. But seeing the occult and, and paganism and 
witchcraft and and being taken being recognized academically now i I, i'm seeing yes um, and you run the the annual the occult humanities conference at nyu yeah yeah can you tell us a little bit about that absolutely because every time i tried to get a ticket it's been sold out (laughs) oh well talk to me we're we're actually about to do it for the third time in october this year october 13th it's a friday the 13th yeah Yeah, through october 15th Mm -hmm. um we haven't quite yet announced it officially um, so the Occult Humanities Conference, I keep calling it, it's biennial-ish because we keep sort of switching dates and a lot of it's uh, around, uh, you know, different availability of the rooms and around what right. makes sense for me and uh, my partner in crime who does it with me, Jesse Bransford. Um, and for those of you who don't know Jesse Bransford, he heads up the undergraduate fine art program at NYU. He's also one of the most gifted esoteric artists alive. I mean, he's making such incredible, deep, magical, intelligent work. Um, He also has become one of my dearest friends and and collaborators over the years. And so he has access to this incredible space, um, and he comes at this work not only as a practitioner, but as an artist. And, And the two, as I said earlier, really overlap. So we decided we wanted to set up a space wherein we had, you know, the most... Um, inspiring, glittering, uh, deep thinkers around the space of art and magic and where they overlap and host them. And, you know, it was a good excuse to invite our heroes to come talk Mm -hmm. and and get to meet them and learn from them. Um, It's wonderful that it is in NYU, so a lot of Jesse's students are able to attend. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's certainly open to the public, so we have people from all different walks of life who who really love it and you know we touch on topics from you know tarot to surrealism to um witchcraft and the blues i mean it's a really yeah it's it's a really kind of to go everyone out there yes please come with us please let me get my ticket first (laughs) yeah that, that that is the challenge we are uh, we love it um, that because it's a very small, intimate conference. It's only about 120 people that we can fit mm-hmm. in the room, and every year people are like, "Please bring it to a bigger yeah. space." And you know, we just we really like it to be this. Um, it feels like a, a crucible or a cauldron, Ooh. you know, and and because it's that small, everyone gets to know each other and hang out, and people go out to lunch and dinner, and it becomes this beautiful, you know, temporary autonomous zone, mm-hmm. and this lovely community. Um, but please do come. I mean, you ladies, we you know, we'll make sure it. that you're there this year for sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, but it's it's been wonderful. And there's um, always a visual art component. There's an exhibition that goes along with it. And we have musical performers and all kinds of stuff too. And your blog is very much based on witches and art, correct? And, and yeah. through history. Yeah, well... Um, you want so, to talk about sure, the name of your blog sure, and then sure. So I've had a blog called Phantasmophile since 2005. Check um, it out, everyone. It's amazing. Thank you. It really is. Thank you. And it's, it's really about... Um, it was born out of my own frustration that I couldn't find a space online that celebrated art and magic as one and the same or as related at all. And so I really I wanted to, to... I'm sorry. In, in terms of magic, what yes. are you talking about? Oh like, my goodness. I mean... I know, it's these basic words that yeah, we that could talk so about loaded, all day right? long. Yeah. I mean... Just you know, quickly, so... Sure. Uh, because I'm confused. Like, uh, you know, what is magic? Right. 
You know, you're going to get a different definition for anybody you ask. And frankly, depending on what day you ask me, mm -hmm, you might get a right. slightly different Absolutely. definition. But to me, you know, magic is a method of metamorphosis through intention and symbology and ritual. Okay. Now, that's a pretty vague definition, yeah. but it's because it applies to everything. So I do believe that creativity is a form of magic. You know, you have to put intention into it for sure. Uh, but I believe that when we put intention into things, you know, it, it, it changes the components of whatever that thing is. Like mm -hmm. if you're drawing a picture, you know, you could draw a cat you know, on a Monday or a cat on a Thursday. But if on the Thursday you're really focusing on imbuing this cat with, you know, some kind of intention or property or, mm -hmm. um, you know, some sort of spell work, that cat to me is going to be more magical than the cat you drew on Monday, mm -hmm. to my mind. Okay. Um, so that's really what I mean. And therefore, a lot of things can be considered magic. Prayer to me is a form of magic. Um, and... I think it's a kinder way of looking at magic than thinking that magic is antithetical to religion. Because to me, they're not. There's a lot of magic in religion. There's a lot of magic in art. There are a lot of magical people who probably don't even consider themselves magical. I mean, people laugh at me all the time. I think Oprah is probably one of the most powerful witches we have, right? Mm -hmm. You know, she sets lots of intentions. She makes big, powerful change. Um, she knows about image, she knows about creativity, and she's manifested quite an amazing life for herself. I doubt Oprah would ever call herself a witch. So I have a very broad definition mm -hmm. of magic and witchcraft, um, but to me it's what resonates, you know, the most true. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I just, every time I log on to your blog, I, I learn something new, and it's, it's, a, it's very very informative and beautiful thank you and the exhibition that you curated it's language, of, language of birds <laughs> yes um, are yes. you going to be doing anything i mean just the art and the, the symbolism and everything in yeah. that um i thought was incredible are you going to be doing anything like that in the near future yeah, so, and, and for those who don't know what exhibition that was, so um, again at NYU, I got the amazing opportunity to curate this art art show called Language of the Birds, Occult and Art, and it was a 100-year survey of the occult influence on artists. So we had, you know, a painting by Leonora Carrington in there. We had work by Brian Geisen, Kenneth Anger, Harry Smith, Kiki Smith. I mean, it was a really um, eclectic, Mix. Yeah, mm -hmm. a, a really great mix. And again, some people who definitely identify as magicians or witches. You know, we had uh, work by Cameron in the show and Alistair Crowley. Wow. Um, but then people like, you know, Akiki Smith, who I don't know if she would call herself a witch, but I definitely see her as one based on the kind of work she outputs and based mm -hmm. on, you know, a lot of the, the writings that she's done and mm -hmm. speaking that I've heard her do. So that was an amazing opportunity, and I still can't believe that it happened. Uh, that was in January and February of last year, so 2016. So the next show that I'm curating is on a much smaller scale, and it is for the conference, and we're just putting it together now. I think 
It's going to be about um, comics and about words and illustrations as kind of magic spells. Oh, um, so that's... yeah, it'll be Ooh. it'll just be up through the duration of the show. So just oh. you know the three days. Um, we have a small gallery space in, in NYU that we're going to put it up for. Yes, but... I have to say, I mean, you lecturing on the symbolism and in, in in art and the occult and. Um, and now, you know, critics and historians now going back and fairly recently even acknowledging. That's exactly right. So I, um, I studied anthropology, I actually went to NYU, and I was an anthropology major and very nerdy triple minor in art history, creative writing, and religious studies. And essentially I was trying to study magic and art mm-hmm. um, or, you know, the influence of images and creativity on consciousness is a bit of a mouthful and NYU just didn't have that kind of path and and you're totally right I now we're starting to see uh, different universities have you know um, degrees that you can get in esotericism or um, there, there are just a few of them but it's starting to grow and there are certainly classes about the history of the witch mm-hmm. or um, spiritualism in art that are growing and becoming more popular. Harvard even has a class now. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful and it's very validating because when I was studying at NYU You know, I studied modern art and there was very little mention of spirituality or magic. And then when you go back and you actually study even what the abstract artists were trying to do, what they were trying to do was give you a transcendental experience through artwork. Kandinsky, when I learned about Kandinsky, I was told, oh, he was trying to almost do a synesthesia thing where he's putting color to music. And that's a tiny tip of the iceberg. What Kandinsky was trying to do was to paint a universal language and render the invisible visible so that when you're looking at a Kandinsky painting, you're having an experience of the divine. You know, same mm-hmm. with Rothko, same with Pollock, all these canonical artists that, you know, when I was studying, uh, and perhaps this has changed, but the words magic or esotericism or spirituality or occult, they were not used in the textbooks. They were not used by my professors. Mm-hmm. And yet that was absolutely the intention of so many of these artists. My very favorite work is the surrealists, uh, specifically the female surrealists, um, like Leonora Carrington and Remedios Varo. I and think your throwback, your um, strange, strange, strange woman throwback is... Remedios Varo. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Would you like to talk about <gasps> Sure, sure. Um, so Remedios Varo, she uh, was a painter um, who lived in Spain and then during the uh, Second World War, you know, she was in Paris and then as so many of these artists were, essentially was exiled and she moved to Mexico City. And that's where she met Leonora Carrington, who's another one of my throwbacks. I know I'm not supposed to have two, but but it's it's difficult we to talk about. It. Thank we you. It's difficult do. to talk about one without the other, um, and especially Leonora Carrington. This would have been her 100th birthday this year, and. Uh, For those of you who aren't familiar with uh, her work, she also is an incredible 
magical surrealist who imbued her work with mythology and witchcraft and you know also lived and worked in mexico city and a lot of favorite place on earth yeah me too it's Uh, so delicious Mm -hmm. what a special place And Leonora also, I should mention, she was a fabulous writer, and a lot of her short stories have just been released, um, uh, co- collected editions that you know people must go out and read these. And you know her novella, The Hearing Trumpet, is one of the most beautiful witchy books ever written. So anyhow, uh, but getting back to Remedios, so Remedios Varro moved to Mexico City. That's where she met Leonora Carrington. And the two of them would study tarot and they would study Kabbalah and they would talk about mythology and they would um, paint you know, together and they would go to the Sonora witchcraft market and they would study Uspensky and Gurdjieff and all these amazing um, esoteric thinkers. And I fell in love with Remedios Varro's work actually through a now pretty famous book uh, called, I think it's called Women and Surrealism. Uh, it's, it's Whitney Chadwick's book, um, which is one of the most kind of famed and pioneering books to talk about the female surrealists because so often surrealism, you know, we would think about Magritte or we'd think about Max Ernst and all these dudes who mm-hmm. I also adore, uh, but, it, but you know, to actually carve a place in art history for these magical uh, f- women painters um, was actually quite hard, hard won. Anyhow, I had this book when I was a teenager and there was this painting that I discovered, and it was by Remedios Varro, and I'll try to describe it, but you should just look it up online. The painting is called To Be Reborn, and it's an image of a woman who's kind of almost being birthed through a wall. And as she's being birthed, there's she's being birthed into this beautiful room, and it almost looks like a tiny shrine or a tiny temple. And there's a hole in the ceiling, there's a sliver of a crescent moon, and then in the room, there's a hexagonal table and a chalice, and the chalice has some kind of water or liquid in it, and the moon is reflected in the chalice. So there's all of these symbols of the divine feminine. And I didn't know it at the time. I, I you know, didn't have enough knowledge when I was, whatever, 13 or 14 to know exactly what all these symbols meant. But I knew when I saw this, it was so moving to me. So you discovered this at the age of 13, mm-hmm. 14? How did you know about... About these, these kinds of things and sure and when did you know you 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 know wanted a to witchy be, lady yeah um well my parents are both artists my dad's a musician and my mom's a painter and I was very fortunate in that one of the ways we hung out with each other was going to museums we just had a lot of art um, my mom was always painting my dad was you know playing music and writing and and going to museums was one of the ways that we bonded as a family and my parents neither of them they're they're both extremely extremely bright but neither of them are hardcore historians Mm -hmm. so we would just go to these museums as a space of getting inspiration and it's not like I was getting big lectures about who everyone was it was more just like they would let me wander through and whatever I was attracted to I would go to these Mm -hmm. pieces and I would always bring a notebook with me and I'd write poems and take notes and and so it was this really intuitive way of 
getting art in my life, mm-hmm. um, which I, I wish everybody approached museums and, and art in general that way to really trust your intuition mm-hmm. and not feel like, oh, I have to know all of the names and all of the you know right. big big moments in art history right off the bat mm-hmm. um, and kind of intellectualize it. That's mm-hmm. great to add for mm-hmm. more context mm-hmm. and color down the road, but... I just think, you know, whatever you're drawn to is right, inspired by. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's there's gifts and learnings there. So for me it was the surrealists. I just loved them. You know, I fell in love with Rene Magritte and uh, fell in love with um, a lot of those guys. But it wasn't until I found this book and it was just in some art gift shop. It was maybe at the Met even that I found this Whitney Chadwick book and flipped through it. And I was just like, oh, like, you know, you know, those rare moments that we all have in our lives where you're just like, you're home, you know, yeah. just, just a key unlocks your heart and, you know, light blasts through. Mm-hmm. And that's how I felt when I saw this book and this painting specifically. Um, so it's interesting too, because as I said, Leonora Carrington, she's getting lots of love and rightly so. I adore her. She's an amazing artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and Remedios Varro is always considered kind of secondary to her, but she'll always be number one to me just cause that's who I fell in love with when right. I was young. I, I just love her work. And the fact that both of these women were also using women as the subjects of their paintings and using themselves and saying that their lives were worthy of, um, you know, telling stories about. They were mythologizing themselves. They were, you know, painting themselves as these powerful, magical creatures. They were often painting themselves in the domicile. You know, they, they were moms, they were cooking, they were cleaning, they had kids. And yet celebrating even that space as a space of magic. It's not that you have to go to the highest mountaintop. You can find magic in your kitchen. And in fact, that's how a lot of witchcraft is born. Mm -hmm. It's from whatever you have to hand, whatever's growing in the backyard, whatever you have in your spice cabinet. That's what I love about, you know, with with your book. Um, It's, you know, in suburbia to, and you go all the way to ancient goddesses um, from every religion, not every, but various religions. Um, and can you tell us about, you know, I mean, that, that's part of your paganism, right? That you, you sort of adore these goddesses. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And, and, you know, for me, some of it is, again, with a lot of thought and, you know, as someone who was raised Jewish, and I was raised Reform Jewish, which is, for those of you who aren't aware, it's like the most liberal, flexy Jews. Like, we didn't keep <laughs> kosher. Jews, yeah. We didn't keep kosher. Like, I did get bat mitzvahed. Mm-hmm. But if I really didn't want to, you know, my parents would have probably been a little upset. But, you know, it's it wasn't super hardcore. Um, but it was definitely a big part of my life. I went to, you know, Hebrew school mm-hmm. up, up until I was in high school. Um, and... I remember there was this moment where they replaced our prayer books from having um, God be called he to these new prayer books where God was just called God. And it made this big impression on me, like suddenly like, oh, you mean God's not necessarily a dude? Like it really was mind opening. Mm -hmm. And frankly, I I give my temple, uh, my synagogue, a lot of credit for Mm -hmm. making that choice. This was in you know, the late 80s, early 90s, they made that choice. But most people aren't that fortunate. Most of us, even if we don't believe in the big three religions or follow them, 
you know, God or Jesus or Muhammad or whatever, whomever, they're, they're fellas, right? Mm-hmm. These are definitely mm-hmm. male energies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you internalize that. Mm-hmm. If, if the holiest, most divine character in the most holy divine stories we have are male, even if you don't believe in them, it just works on your unconscious. And it makes you feel like you have less value, right? Because mm-hmm. you don't have that level of access or that level of divinity from, from this gendered standpoint. So, you know, I was always attracted to mythology and fairies and mermaids and goddesses and all that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff ever since I was very, very little. But it wasn't until I was a teenager that I realized how much I needed those stories to make me feel like I had as much worth as a guy. And funnily enough, th- this sounds a little silly, but it's true. I mean, one of the people who really opened my mind to it, um, I was really big into like Tori Amos and PJ Harvey and Bjork. Mm-hmm. That was my holy trinity when I was a Bjork's teenager. Bjork's my neighbor. Get out of here. <laughs> That's so awesome. And, and, you know, it was those ladies and then like Sandman comics. And, you mm-hmm. know, it was really these folks who were elevating the divine feminine and also making it cool and accessible mm-hmm. that got me thinking about it. Like I had all of these Tori Amos bootlegs. I would track them down. Remember you'd have to like drive, like I would drive to new hope, Pennsylvania or red bank, New Jersey, like, you know, take some mm-hmm. excursions to try to track down these B sides. And I had I, all that these. That was so exciting. Those times it? when you yeah. had to go to a store that, yes. and get a bootleg. Yes. Oh, they used to bust that one in the village all the time for mm-hmm. selling bootlegs, yep. but we all went there. And, yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'd go to like Tower Records and even occasionally they Sweden. would have them. Yeah. That's exactly it. Like I'd get these Portis head yeah. singles from Norway or something. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so I had a bunch of like Tori Amos uh, kind of live, you know, bootlegs. And her banter, her stage banter, was often about how she was raised so religious and then she kind of realized the shame, you know, and she was very Mm -hmm. funny about it and much more articulate than I'm perhaps being, but about the shame that she internalized through, you know, hearing that, like, touching a woman was supposed to be this horrible, shameful thing and that Mm -hmm. sexuality was shameful. Mm Mm-hmm. So hearing her talk about those things, and then remember the way she would play piano, she would like writhe on the seat. You know, I was 12 or 11 the first time I saw Tori Amos. She terrified me. I had, ne- you know, I was like listening to like Paula Abdul and CNC <laughs> Music Factory, and then like suddenly Tori Amos came See, into my life. Paula light. Abdul terrified me. <laughs> But, you know, it's like, you know, we all have that, like, first kind of musical gateway drug. Oh, and yeah. that was that was her for me, yeah. where I was like, holy shit, what mm-hmm. is this? And, and it kind of opened up this path of female creators who used the language of mythology and magic and sexuality and creativity. To I love that you were so young looking for this yeah. female... Yeah, I don't know. You know I can't even explain I lo- I mean, why. Wait, did you feel bad about yourself in high school? I mean, did you, Hmm. that you had to seek out? That's a really good question. You know, I didn't feel... Because you did mention that you you went to a private, you you were... You had to go to a private school. Yeah, so, I mean, my kind of, I don't know, origin story, if you you will, 
I didn't feel bad about myself. I was always a, a bit of an oddball, but I was always pretty confident in loving what I loved. Like I never felt ashamed that I was weird. I, I was frankly kind of proud of it. I just felt like this is me. Mm -hmm. And a lot of credit goes to my parents. They were just super, are super loving, accepting, cool people and creative people. But absolutely, you know, I think when, when I became a teenager and I went to middle school, um, that's where it dawned on me that I just kind of hated a lot of a lot of the people <laughs> that I had to see every day. Yeah. That's not a rare experience. Mm -hmm. Like for an arty, sensitive kid to be surrounded by. Yeah, high school by, is hell. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I had a couple really great friends mm -hmm. who made it one, one best friend in particular, Melly, who shout out still, to Melly. Shout out Melly. <laughs> hey, um, Melly. She was a, a lifeline for me. And, uh, you know, we shared a lot of the similar tastes and interests, but you know, I definitely felt like I, I just couldn't wait to get out of there. I had that, like, I can't oh, wait. Yeah. And, and my dad worked in New York in the city. So we would go and meet up with him and go to museums or go to shows or go to mm. tower records or bookstores. So I had this like, Beacon. it's right yeah. there. I know that that's where I belong kind of thing for, for a really long time. But, you know, I mean, for me, definitely feeling a little bit like an oddball, feeling like I didn't connect with that many people was tough. I mean, another thing that was tough, to be candid, is my um, sister, who's she's a tremendously amazing person, and there's a happy ending to this story, but she struggled really, really badly with her mental health mm -hmm. all throughout um, my adolescence and young adulthood and it was it was really mm -hmm. bad we had crises every other day with mm -hmm. her and you know she was in and out of hospitals and she was really um, a lovely person and not her fault but very difficult to be with when she was mm -hmm. struggling and it was really painful so what did that look like when, when she was struggling what what did that look like for you <sighs> Um, was she older than you, you she's, said? Yeah, she's older than okay. me. That's interesting. Um, what it looked like for me is I definitely... My, my bedroom became a shrine and a cocoon and a safe space. And that was definitely refuge from the chaos and the entropy mm -hmm. that was churning in the house. Which explains probably why you turn to... Maybe. Know, Do you know, sometimes I wonder if it's related... And, you wanted but, to empower yourself. I think that's part of it. Because she probably appeared so out of control to you. And you you know, that's confusing for someone yeah. growing up I think to see witness I think that. that's definitely part of it. But if I'm being really... It would be a perfect narrative. But mm -hmm. frankly, I've always been like this. Okay. I loved it even before she mm -hmm. um, had, you know, some of her, her tough stuff. But it, it definitely... You know, it's that sense of control, not just with her, you know, also with boys falling in love with people who don't love you back yeah. or feeling I've like... I've never I mean, had the that. Exactly. <laughs> the idea that you can, you yeah. can, you know, they do a spell, yeah. perform a spell and have someone fall in love with you. And how do you feel? It's like seductive. About, it's yeah. a seductive idea. And, and you can have anything you want if you really, if yeah. you're intent, right? And, 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 and I'm going to be honest, you know, and I'm writing about this right now. And this is the kind of thing that as, you know, an adult and a professional in the world, I don't share all the time, but I had experiences of spells working 
when I was really young mm. and it was tremendous like what? and it was horrifying. This is a story, you know, I only tell occasionally because I'm ashamed of it. I'm embarrassed, not ashamed. I'm embarrassed by it or I, I regret it a bit, although it did teach me a lot. You know, there was this girl I just hated. I just hated her. She represented every awful thing about girls you can possibly imagine. Mm -hmm. She was just a, a jerky, obnoxious, spoiled little twit. I just could not stand mm -hmm. this girl. And... I'm sure I was jealous of her, and I'm sure that the boy I liked liked her. You know, yeah. I'm not. There's, I'm a, not, there's a backstory. I'm sure, and I'm sure she did not deserve what I did, which is I, I did. You know, talk about left-handed magic or black magic, which we were talking about earlier. Um, you know, I I indulged in the dark side, and I did a spell against her. And, you know, it was uh, a spell to, you know, harm her. I really didn't like, I wasn't trying to kill her or anything, mm -hmm. but I, I wanted something bad to happen to her. Mm. So I did this spell and lo and behold, we get to school the next day. This is in middle school. And I am not kidding. She's covered in boils. Nice. And these were, right? <laughs> And they were, in fact... That will be on the website. Pam will be <laughs> providing the spell. <laughs> they were, in fact, sun blisters. She had fallen asleep outside trying to get tan in the sun and came to school covered in these blisters. But I have to say, I felt horrified felt and terrified. I was like, what did I do? And that... I, I, hand on heart, that's the last time I've ever done any kind of like hexing or cursing somebody uh, because, and look, I know some listeners might think like, well, that could have been a coincidence. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. At the time, I knew it was real and I knew you I You wanted something it. to happen. You wanted that yes. to happen. And I, I then You didn't celebrate it a little bit? Or no, I mean, your power? I I'm trying to remember. Come on, maybe, Pam. Maybe I was a little happy because she was she was a real jerk at the time. I'm sure she's blossomed into a lovely young woman, but she was a real jerk at Earth the time. Or that if need be, so, you could do it again. <laughs> right? But, yeah, but... It's I, in your toolbox. Yeah, but, I mean, I've done, you know, love spells for people and... But, but you know what... And, and they've been effective. But what, one of the things I often tell people is... On those rare occasions when I will do a spell f with somebody, not for somebody, there has to be a component where they are doing some kind of action or some kind of personalization. Like I, most of the magic that I do is for myself. It's about me trying to connect to a greater power, try to be of service, mm -hmm. try to um, you know live to my fullest potential, be kind, be forgiving, all of that kind of work. When someone asks me if I'll do a spell for them, I, I, as I said, I'll do it with them. I really believe that magic isn't something that someone can passively have someone do to them. Or, mm -hmm. you know, perhaps they can, yeah. but it's not as effective. I think it's so much more powerful when, you know... Your own energy is needed, yep, right? Yep, exactly, when it's personal. So um, can you talk a little bit about witches in literature, even Harry Potter... Sure. And how do you feel about I mean, Baba Yaga is my favorite. Yeah, she's the best. <laughs> and how do you how do you feel about you know Hermione and Harry Potter? Well, I just had a little Baba Yaga laugh there. <laughs> <laughs> a little hag laugh. <laughs> um, 
I love Hermione. Mm -hmm. And I love um, that, you know, there are so many different stripes of witches in literature and in art. Um, there, there are the diabolical witchy ladies. There's the old hags. There's the women who live in huts in the woods. There's the women who live in cities. The love witch. Exactly. All of it. And, and yeah. I, I, I really love it all. Mm -hmm. But in literature, this, this flavor of the witch archetype that's about study and that's about excellence and competency, I think is so valuable for especially girls. Yeah, to be I mean, reading. I think Hermione is the most important, I think, female character character in modern day literature, I think. Yeah, she, she's... I feel that way she's, in pop literature. Yeah, she's incredible. Um, and, you know, I, I can't think of her without... I know we're, that Buffy isn't literature mm -hmm. it's you know tv but willow was a really similar kind mm -hmm. of you know she was really yeah. good at school mm -hmm. and loved to learn and empowered and one of the things that i love about people who are attracted to magic and witchcraft is usually they're people who love to learn because there's not the one book or the one dogma you kind of do have to seek it out you're curious you do research you you know it's are reading books exactly yeah. there there's this um this this hunger for education that I find really, really moving. So to see a book-oriented witch, mm -hmm. like a Hermione or a Willow, mm -hmm. is... J.K. Rowling, I think, is definitely a witch. She's She just... I, I totally agree. I love her. I do, too. She's a heroic human. <laughs> she really she is. But honestly, I'm, I, I'm glad you brought that up because... I don't have a lot of patience for magical people who are assholes. I think it makes no sense. For me, if you're doing this kind of work, it's not only about like, how can I do a spell to make myself rich or further myself? Like that's, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with ambition or wanting mm -hmm. security or even wealth or health or any of those things. I think that's, that's totally human. But if you're not of service, and not working from a place of love and compassion, then I'm completely uninterested in how magical a person you may, might think you are. Um, on a similar note, if you're completely flaky and use being magical as an excuse to not show the hell up in the material world and be responsible and be good to people, I'm also not interested. Use you know? it as an excuse. Yeah, mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm so magical and flighty, so I didn't pay my rent, or yeah. like, so I didn't show up to your birthday party. Like, I'm just like, I have no patience for that. I'm a pragmatic witch. Mm -hmm. I'm a type A witch. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I want, I, you know, the the material and the spiritual, to me, they're, they're poles that work in unison, and you bring one up to the other and one down to the other, and they feed each other, um, so that, like, flaky, oh, up here I'm mm -hmm. not grounded so I yeah. just do whatever I want like I have no patience for it if you're not then using magic to actualize in the in the material world as a person who's kind and good and trying to better this planet I'm very uninterested in what you have to say so what would you say um about women in women have a reputation for not supporting other women a lot of times in the workplace and probably because of jealousy and things like that and the backstabbing we were talking about careers um, before we turned on the mic. But um, what would you say, how, how, how are witches, where do witches fit into that? What's their, what, what, what would be the, the 
How, how would you explain how witches treat other women? How... Sure, sure. I mean, well, I'm sure we've all heard of the term coven. And I think the coven is another wonderful model for women getting together in a communal way, in a safe way, in a creative way, um, mm-hmm. to be together, to honor each other's gifts, and to use all of their gifts. To honor in- each other's gifts. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and to use each other's gifts in collaboration to make something even bigger and better. And I, I think, you know, it's funny, people are doing like hashtag coven goals a lot on like Instagram and yeah and like Facebook and honestly I I kind of love it because I'm like good you know it's about sisterhood it's about community building and it's about saying like we're all magical and together oh my god just imagine the kind of change that we can you know bring into this world I I I love that because I think part of your digital which witchcraft in the digital world? You digital have, age. Oh, digital that, age. That was right? a. That was a. I was on a panel actually um, earlier this week at the Alchemist's Kitchen, and there were a few of us who were invited to talk about how we navigate our digital selves and our magical selves, and how we build community in the digital world. And one of the things um, that one of the other panelists said when she met us. She said, you guys are so nice. And she's like, honestly, so many people who do this work are so, they're such jerks and they're so competitive and I can't believe how nice you guys are. And it was a lovely compliment, but it was, it also made me really sad because... What do you mean this work? Um, magical, magical work, work. spiritual oh, work. So they had the experience in, of... Yeah, so, so this uh, woman um, said that often when she meets other people who... You know, and I, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but she mm-hmm. was something to the effect of like who do kind of like whether they're tarot readers or they're I don't know priestesses mm-hmm. or you know um, mediums that sometimes they're competitive with each other because yeah, a, I mean, a lot of it's a business too. This is livelihood, right? Yeah. A lot of people make their money. Yeah, and that's why I was saying work. women. Um, you know, women find I think I think they feel because they have their so few opportunities than, than, than men. There, there are less opportunities than men that they feel this competitive nature that I th- maybe I, I men also, don't feel. Do you know, I also think that's socialized, though. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think it's a paradigm that's being dissolved. Because I remember, you know, there were always girls who were like, oh, I'm not friends with any other women. I only like guys. I hate other women. Like, we've all, you know, met people yeah. like that, right? Uh-huh. And I actually think we're in this, at least in my experience, um, this really golden age of sisterhood where people, women particularly, are realizing that there is enough to go around, that there's abundance, and that right. we're all unique. And right. like I said there's earlier, when to we work around. together, and frankly, we have to work together if we're going to tear down the patriarchy yeah. and yeah. we're going to save this planet. I mean, the yeah. stakes are that high. I'm not being dramatic. That is no, what is not. at stake. Mm-hmm. And we cannot solve these problems without forging connections with each other and celebrating That's each why other. why the Women's March was so, which such a oh, powerful yeah. thing. All these women, including us, came out yep and you know that that was a very powerful message message that and to me that's that's like a huge spell it's Mm -hmm. a huge working you know it's all of these like yep and yeah like we were participating in a spell and that you were part of a coven yes and like gear shifting Mm -hmm. a little bit like um and and that energy is still here and you know i i 
I was so heartened by the Women's March. We were here in uh, New York marching. And I also loved how many <laughs> witchy signs there mm-hmm. were and witchy ladies and, yeah. you know, people like using the witch as this icon of like, right. you know, damn the man, mm-hmm. we're here. Yes, we're nasty. We're not going to apologize for it. We're powerful. Um, and we're here to change things. Yeah. Did you see all these groups popping up, Witch Boston? Yeah. And they yeah. have the black, oh, oh, yeah. the, the black hats yeah. and the cloaks and the signs and... But, they're the best. Yeah. And they're, they're pro-education they're, and pro... They're amazing. They're actually um, they're actually a throwback to, um, in the 60s, there was this group called Witch, W-I-T-C-H, um, and it was this group of kind of like artist activists mm-hmm. who would dress up like witches, and they would oh. do things like hex the New York Stock Exchange. <laughs> and it was sort of like performance art, mm-hmm. and frankly, comedy, mm-hmm. uh, which is so important to have a sense of humor and a sense of irreverence. Um and they were, you know, there was this kind of dramatic aspect to them and performance art aspect to them, but they got a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. And so all of these witch groups that you're seeing, the WITCH, yeah. Portland, mm-hmm. I think they kicked it yes, off. Yes, they do. Yeah, it's a total yeah. homage uh, to these badass ladies in the 60s who oh, did it at the time. I'm going to have to research that oh, because amazing. I love these these new groups. Me appearing. too. They're, they're amazing. I, I so what you you say that you know you you put a spell on someone a, a negative spell on someone what we asked every one of our guests what's the strangest thing that kind of has happened to them doing what Ooh. they do um would I, I don't know if you would classify that's the spell um, that's in there the boils that's <laughs> but in there there's something you know there are just you know. these moments that you know, something uncanny happens and it, and it's all of these things, you know, we talk about them so spiritually, they, they're very bodied. They're very physical. When something strange happens, you feel it, right? I I have this thing. I've had it since I was a kid. My arms are hypersensitive. So, you know, around certain people that have like very negative energy. How are you feeling around us? I feel wonderful. Are you sure? Yes. We're very negative. Please. We are working on it. We totally are working on Guys, it. Guys, you're pretty yeah. sunny for negative oh, people. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh. Thank you, Pam. Did you hear that, Mom? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's one thing. Darkness is not negativity. You're negative. You are. <laughs> I, I don't we're know. working on it though. Okay. We're working on it. Well, I find you're definitely helping us. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, sometimes some magical thing will happen, and, and I feel it in my body, and I feel electricity, you know, down my arms. Oh, I can my just picture it coming and, out your yeah, fingers. Yeah, it's, it's it's a it's a really weird thing. Mm-hmm. Um, just a hypersensitivity, and. I don't know the the story that's coming to my mind now is actually kind of sweet story, and I I don't know if on the surface it's going to sound so magical, but I knew it was magic, and you know there was a lot of magical stuff that happened uh, when my husband and I got married. He um, he's he's not I think he's very magical, but he's not you know magical in the sense we're talking. He's not very religious. If he has a religion, it's Star Wars. He's really into like, you know, <laughs> wrestling and you know, he's he's an amazing, weird guy. But he proposed to me on May first, which is Beltane, which is like the day not of May 4th. love. No, I know. <laughs> that would have been perfect for him. Um 
But, you know, he didn't even know, and he proposed to me on Beltane, and so that was a beautiful sign. And then, What is that? Um, Beltane is uh, one of the pagan holy days. It's um, a celebration of love and springtime and fertility and fire, and it's just like, you know, a lot of people say that's when the fairies come out. Like, it's just like one of the most lovey, sweet... You know, it's just a, a, it's the perfect day to get engaged. And he had no idea. So that happened. And then, you know, we got married. Um, We were originally planning on getting married a year from then. And in fact, this amazing venue opened up and it was right where we wanted to be and we couldn't afford it. And then they were like, well, we have this last minute opening on October 16th. If you want to take it, we'll give you everything for half. And that it happened to be the date of our dating anniversary. Mm-hmm. So that happened. And then on the day of our wedding, there's a lot of other stuff, but I'll cut to the chase. On the day of our wedding, um, my grandfather had passed away a few months earlier, and I was very, very close to him. And I just I sensed this presence that he was there. And my mom said that, you know, she was sitting next to my dad, and for some reason the seat next to her was left empty. No one planned on it. It was just an empty seat. And she thought it was my grandpa. And then um, after we got married, when my husband and I were driving away, uh, we borrowed my parents' car. And I opened the glove compartment, and my grandpa's hearing aids came tumbling out. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, and I was like, oh, my God. And I just, like, burst into tears because there was no question in my mind. I just knew that this was my grandpa's way of saying, I heard you. I was there. And it's silly things like that where it's this dream logic, synchronicity, magical language that's being Mm -hmm. spoken that, you know, on very, very lucky days, you feel like you're fluent in the language, too. Mm-hmm. And You're I just knew. Yeah. So what, what is what is the uh, relationship with witchcraft and death, and what what are your what are your how do you feel about that? We're well, big death death people. Totally. <laughs> do you know what? I knew you were going to ask me this. I was mm. thinking about death on the way over here. I just had a feeling it was going to come up. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, one of the things that is so important about. Um, witchcraft is that it honors the cycles of nature and of life. Um, It honors the light and the dark. It honors birth and death and rebirth. And in fact, you know, if you, if you pull like the death card in tarot, it's not necessarily about literal death, though literal death is important to unpack and talk about and honor. But it's also about change and metamorphosis and how things, you know, you have to let go of things and things have to die in order for there to be, you know, rebirth and vitality. Again, nature. Exactly. And I think a lot about alchemy. I I love alchemy. And I don't know if you guys have gone down the rabbit hole of studying alchemy and or studying, Mm -hmm. especially like some of Jung's writings about alchemy. Um, But the alchemical manuscripts are so rich with psychedelic, insane, bizarre symbolism. And there are some phases and stages in the alchemical process of transforming lead into gold, which, you know, Jung thought was a metaphor for transforming the psyche and the spirit. 
And so, you know, there are these um, phases. So there's um, the negretto phase or the death phase. And that has to happen before the albedo, which is the rebirth phase, or the rubedo, which is the reddening, you know, vitalizing, um, kind of libido-oriented mm, phase. phase. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, but the negretto is necessary. Death is necessary. It's crucial. Um, and it, you know, and it's, and it's still the greatest mystery we have, mm-hmm. you know, it blows my mind that we have come so far in scientific research. We don't know anything about what happens when you die. We have no That's idea. That's why it's so fascinating yeah. and horrifying it's, and it's the fertile. Biggest, <laughs> yeah. It's the biggest mystery. And, and so much about witchcraft or paganism or magic or whatever you want to call it, the occult is about honoring mystery and holding space for the not knowing and mm. saying that that it's enough to not know. So there know. is not an afterlife belief in different paganism? Pe- different or? people think different things. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people, you know, some people certainly think that there are spirits and that, you know, you then become the ancestors or the guides or the guardians for, mm-hmm. you know, people on earth. Um, there's a whole, you guys know, spiritualism, mm-hmm. you know, was a real religion um, yeah. in specifically in America, but in other places around the world. Um, where people were contacting the dead through seances. And, and that ver- that comes from ancient, ancient beliefs that after mm-hmm. somebody dies, there's some element of them that's still around and that we can still mm-hmm. speak to. And, you know, in um, Samhain, a lot of people call it Samhain, uh, but um, the pronunciation, as I've learned it, is Samhain. Um, that that is the you know the Halloween All Souls kind of moment where where the veil is the thinnest and we believe that that's when the ancestors can come through and you can speak to them ask for guidance you can do divinatory practices um, and get messages from them so certainly a lot of people believe that too but then you'll find other people who believe you know you die and you become a tree and that's beautiful mm-hmm. and and the the fact of the matter is. I don't know. And frankly, neither do you and neither does anybody. We, we don't know what happens when we die. And so I find that to be so beautiful. And yes, it's scary, but I also find it comforting that there will always be endless mystery. And mm-hmm. so much of witchcraft is about embracing that. Yep. Embracing it, celebrating it, honoring it and knowing that there's so much that we don't know and perhaps we won't know and there's beauty and meaning in that. Pam Grossman, thank you so much for joining us. We could talk to you <laughs> all day. Um, anyway, where can people follow you on social media speaking about you know, witches in the Sh- digital age? Sure. <laughs> um, well, I am Phantasmophile on Twitter and Instagram. I'm very easy to find on the internet, pamgrossman.com. I have uh, What is a Witch, which is my comic book that's out and illustrated by Tin Can Forest. So if you go to Tin Can Forest's website, you can order it direct from them. 
Um, if you like emoji, I have these new witch <gasps> oh, emoji. Oh, we forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I, you. I did not forget. Oh, your witch emojis. Yeah. This so these are number one. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so there are stickers uh, for iMessage, and you can download them from the Apple Store or by going to witchemoji.com. How are these witch emojis? I mean, they are They're so really fun. Awesome. They're really fun. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I had them made. I collaborated with an amazing emoji designer, and uh, I just Did you was, think, like, why aren't there witch yes, emojis? Yes, I'm so tired of yeah. there not being witches. Right. And so, you I know, mean, when I'm you, always when doing... When you posted, I was like, oh, well, there's a wi- there's witch emoji. Nope. I, I, at least one. And I no. looked through, no. and there wasn't. No. All of us doing witchy ladies. Yeah, we do, there. like, crystal ball, lightning yeah. bolt, yeah. stars. Yeah. There's no witch. The witch. Yeah. yeah, so, and I'm, I'm now working on trying to get the witch um, accepted by... Uh, the Unicode Consortium, which are basically like the the Illuminati of emoji. Um, so you kind of have to pitch to convince them to make really? a witch. You so mean, we'll you see mean if to they be will. on the like the dashboard. That... Yeah, to be like yeah. a oh. there's like official emoji. Oh. So Twitter and Facebook. I don't and see how using... this can be rejected. I don't either. So yeah. wish me luck. Witch yeah. me luck, if you will. <laughs> oh, God. I can't help myself. No, we had to end with yeah. something like that, yeah. I guess. Yeah, but I'm um, very easy to find. So, yes, and I'm always happy to talk more about this. So. Thank you so much. We'd love to have you back. Thank you so much for having me.